Welcome to Here We Are, the podcast where we celebrate the beauty of being a nerd by learning about nerdy things from other nerds. I'm your host, Joy Bork. Y'all know how I ask every week for you to email me? Well, today's guest did, and I loved it. So prepare to be transported into the world of one of TV's greatest creators, Jim Henson. If you're like me, Jim Henson is synonymous with the Muppets, but there is so much more depth to his imagination than that. So without further ado, here's Bethany Sims to introduce us to Jim's other storytelling side. Hi there. My name's Bethany, and I have never done a podcast before, so I'm very excited and nervous at the same time to be here. I am a nerd of all sorts of things, but I'm also a mother to three daughters and trying to pass on all the things that I'm learning about to them, and it's not going very well. And I work as a communications director for a large church, and it's awesome. And I live in the Midwest where nothing too exciting happens, so there's lots of times to nerd out about things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What you guys need to know is that Bethany emailed me because she's friends with Marie, uh, and you heard Marie and her husband Nathan on several episodes last season. And I get so excited when people email me. And you emailed me with a whole list of nerd things. Can you tell us a couple of them? Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh, Michael Bolton is one of the top things, and he's a singer. He's Okay, you say he's from the 80s, but he's still putting out amazing (laughs) music right now. And he, you know, up there in years. Yeah, I love, like, the Monkees, which is a 60s group, which still was making music up until a decade ago. Obviously, like, Lord of the Rings, huge nerd for that. I like that you say that's obvious. Is it? How would that be obvious? You said obviously like Lord of the Rings. It's just, like, a staple nerd thing. Like, all the nerds love Lord of the Rings, so. Ah, Maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good, good. What else? What do you want to talk about today? Okay. Um, yeah, you asked me what the top thing was. And I had to trace back to like my earliest forms of, is nerdism a word? Um, of, you can make it like, a word. Okay, yeah. Of nerdism when I was a kid. And I would say Jim Henson's movie Labyrinth from 1986 is probably the first thing I can look back and say, wow, like I was obsessed with something that a lot of people consider nerdy from a very early age. And yeah, that's it. Okay, I think Jim Henson, I think Muppets. Is this a Muppet movie? That was his curse. Yes, he created the Muppets and he did puppeteering from, my goodness, from high school, I think. He like checked out his book from the library about puppets and just started doing them on his own. He wanted to break into TV and that was his gateway to it. But he was never like passionate about puppetry. But it ended up being, yeah, it ended up just being a way for him to get a voice. And then you see through his career, including with Labyrinth, how he tried to break free from the Muppets persona a little bit. He wanted to tell adult storytelling. He didn't want to be a kid's entertainer. He wanted to break into like serious movie making to really be an artist. He even actually had a series of like short films made too, which are really trippy that you should check out sometime. I think at one point he like even was going to put together a nightclub and things like that. He was a very creative, interesting guy, but he got pegged as the Muppets guy all the time because it was such a successful franchise and then with labyrinth and dark crystal both bombed because people went to the theaters and they were like where are the muppets what is this dark storytelling you're putting in front of me where are the happy like where's kermit singing and 
it crushed him because he didn't want to be put in this box all the time mm-hmm. as a filmmaker. So, okay, wow, there's so much good there. Were the Muppets his first thing? Oh, no, he did like commercials all through goodness. I'm trying to remember the decades, but that was when his very first thing was called Salmon Friends. And it was this like weekly special or like really short slot on TV where him and his wife did puppetry. And it wasn't the Muppets that we know him. They evolved eventually into there. But he really started doing commercials for a while for like I coffee um, and a few other things like that. And I can't remember how the, the break got, but I think Kermit was one of his original things that he created. And he obviously voiced Kermit. And then they took that idea and were like, hey, we can do more with this. And then I think Sesame Street eventually came along too. What was it? It was like a traveling Jim Henson exhibit that I saw a few years ago, but they showed like the pitch for the Muppet show during that in the 70s. And they were pitching how to do the Muppets in a variety show during TV. And people were like, you're insane. And again, he wanted to show them in an adult way and but it was a huge hit and through that came the movies and all that kind of stuff in the 80s but initially like he was just doing puppetry for commercials and other things like that and then broke through with the Muppet show my mind is blown in so many ways right now okay when we talked earlier I mispronounced it as I'm so scared to say it now apologize you mispronounced it and I did not I did not. No, 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 That's not why I bring this up. LeBron, there was something. Uh, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Yeah. Because when I hear that word, I think back to Greek mythology. That's awesome. I was homeschooled and we went through like this whole Greek mythology thing and we didn't know how to pronounce things officially. So the Labyrinth comes from Theseus and the Minotaur. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know it was Theseus and the Minotaur. I thought it was Monitor. I didn't even, I just, there's just so many potential mispronunciations in my life that I just don't know are wrong. All of that to say, is there a tie between the Greek story and this movie? So Jim Henson in particular, when he told Labyrinth and even with Dark Crystal, he actually was really inspired by Grimm's fairy tales. So he loved the dark nature of the purest, quote unquote, form of those stories he didn't love again the kids version of it yeah. so he was telling with labyrinth a dark fairy tale that was his inspiration for a lot of things and he actually put out a series in the 80s i think it was 80s early 90s i'm gonna say this wrong and jim henson fanatics are gonna get mad at me but it was this called this thing called storytellers and he used puppets again and real people to tell stories there was a greek one where he told all these like Greek mythology stories. And then there was one where he just told like grim, dark, like from the truest Mm. form that he could find stories using puppets and using a little bit of CGI and then humans. And it is visually stunning. I have it on DVD. It is gorgeous. And yes, he was very inspired by a lot of that stuff. And that series is called what? I think it's called Storytellers, like Jim Henson Storytellers. Wow. That's amazing. It's really beautiful. If you have a chance to watch it, I think it stands the test of time now, which I think a lot of the stuff he created does where you look at something created a couple of decades ago and you're like, wow, that's gorgeous. You don't usually do that. They're usually, that was cute back then. But with these, you're just like, oh my goodness, how do they do that? That's beautiful. Wow. Okay. So what hooked you about Labyrinth? Yeah. I don't think I would have been able to articulate this when I was a kid, obviously, but as an adult, sometimes I like to dissect 
why I love things. And so Labyrinth is kind of a coming of age story. It's about a girl transitioning and leaving childhood and finding how to become a woman and how to shed some of those things that she's holding on to and battle the obstacles of confusion and not knowing the answers and thinking things should be fair, things should be a certain way and finding that not the reality. And how do you like move forward when your childhood's kind of crumbling. So I definitely like as a young kid related to that aspect, but I wouldn't have been able to articulate that. But looking back, I'm like, wow, yes, I understood what he was trying to tell through the progression of the heroine in that story. But also it's just incredibly well done. So this was back in a time where CGI was not something that was very well, actually they didn't do it. I think this had one of the first owls or real like animals that was created through computer animation, everything else, Henson had to build, like he had to create completely through physical means. So when the actors are acting in these worlds, it's literally built around them, which I'm just like blown away by. And I think like, we obviously don't do that anymore. We really are reliant on computer animation. And I think that helps this stand the test of time too. So just being a kid and seeing this world that someone created out of their imagination and then literally knew how to put it together in a way that came across on screen and told this narrative that you connected to, I was just blown away by that. And I've always been a lover of stories, a lover of theater. I've probably more been drawn to fantasy and things like that. And so this was just like in my wheelhouse as a kid because it's so beautiful. Even when you watch behind the scenes stuff of how they put everything together, you're just like, what? Like the time and it took to do that what is this world? I've never even imagined a world like this. And someone else did and they brought it to life and you're just drawn into it. Wow. Was there a part of you that felt seen and understood? Like, ah, that's a representation of me on screen? The movies that we connect with the most, there's always a a truth about Mm. that kind of connection. I think every teenager feels misunderstood. Every teenager feels, and this is why young adult fiction is so huge now. (laughs) That's a narrative that everybody can tap into. So I do think the misunderstood teenager has a greater destiny in store for her that nobody really truly understands except her. And then someone sees something special in her and like, what teenage girl does not connect with that? But obviously, Henson tapped into that too with this. And so I'd say yes, but I wouldn't say beyond that, there was like a really special, okay, you know, but yes, that narrative, absolutely. Wow. Wow. So thinking back now, do you remember any specific moments in the movie that like still stick with you that resonated with you super strong all the scenes yeah tell me about a few so many trying to think of which one so when I was a kid I definitely like had a very everybody has a hard childhood but I definitely had an, an absent father my mother was a single mom so she was working all the time and she was gone at work supporting me and my sister and I was bullied a lot like it was a you know really really hard awkward time And the ability to escape through TV and through movies and through books and through all that kind of stuff was definitely something that helped me cope and helped me get through a lot of the the pain and the turmoil I was going through. And so I would say there's one scene in particular where Sarah is traveling through this labyrinth at the time and she's pursued or trying to be stopped by David Bowie, who's this Goblin King. And he's wanting to throw obstacles in her way that kind of 
make her forget or make her choose to not keep going and to just give up. And so at one point he gives her, the, and this is probably one of the most famous scenes in the entire movie, but he gives her this peach and it's essentially poisoned in some way. And he has Hoggle, one of the characters, give her this peach and she takes a bite and it drugs her. This is super creepy now that you're an adult watching this film. Um, (laughs) He drugs her and she starts imagining she's in this ballroom and all of a sudden she's wearing this princess fairy tale dress and she's in this masquerade and David Bowie emerges through the crowd and starts dancing with her and stuff. And as a kid, it's like your first time where you're, oh gosh, you're like a 13 year old girl and you're like, whoa, it's a rock star. Oh my goodness. You know, like, and David Bowie, it's a mesmerizing guy. Mm-hmm. But you're a kid and you're just like, I'm transitioning from being a kid mm-hmm. to wanting love and to wanting, you know, but what does that mean? And so that scene was one that I always loved because I just remember watching it and being like, oh my goodness, I want to be a princess and I want to be loved one day and I want to have this relationship. But then she goes to this point where she like breaks away from him and she takes this chair and she breaks this mirror and everything falls away. And I remember as a kid just being like, it was the earliest form I could think of like women empowerment. Mm. (laughs) She was like, regardless of the fairy tale and of the dream and all that stuff, like she's choosing reality and she's choosing something better than this fantasy, you know, like the girl fantasy of having a one true love come. I'd say that's one scene that's always stuck with me. Because I just think it's like this powerful representation again of a young girl or a woman being like, no, like I'm going to be in control of my own destiny and I'm going to choose something greater than um, what another person can give me or think I want. Like I'm going to choose something real. And I just think it's a powerful image. Man, agency is everything. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Do you have another scene that sticks out to you? Um, Oh, there's so many. There's so many. This whole movie is just absolutely gorgeous. There's this one scene that I just remember being a kid and being like, how did they do this? But she goes behind these two doors and she's to choose. She goes through one and she falls through this tunnel and there's these hands. And you haven't seen this, right? Correct. Okay. So this is when she's going through the labyrinth and she chooses the wrong door. She falls through this tunnel and there's just hands everywhere. And they're all forming shapes of like mouths and speaking to her. And she's falling and gripping him and grabbing him and they stomp her. And then they ask her, like, do you want to go up or down? And she chooses down, which is a whole nother thing we could talk about. But I remember being a kid and being like, how did they, how did they do that? It was, it's just like mind boggling how they did that. And I looked it up like as soon as I could as a young adult, because it would just always step with me how it was done. And there was like a hundred people with latex gloves surrounding this tunnel. And she's hanging from like uh, a harness. And she's like being dropped and stuff. And there's like hundreds of people with latex gloves doing these elaborate things with their hands. And it's just who imagines this stuff? Who dreams of this stuff? And it's like, we have to do this. We need a tunnel with a bunch of hands who are talking and speaking. And it's not just like two hands. It's four or five hands literally creating the shape of a face. And you're just like, as a kid, you're like, you're creeped out. But you're also just like, how did they do that? How is this? It, It just, it blows my mind. So there's so many moments like that. Where as a kid, I remember watching and being like, I don't even understand how this was achieved. And even as an adult, I can watch that. And I can be like, how did they achieve that? And I just think that's, as a filmmaker, wouldn't that be one of the, the, the dreams, the goals that you create in effect so good that like decades later, people are still like, how did you do that? Anyway. Yeah, and you're, it sounds like you were enraptured in wonder in the middle of that. Oh, the whole movie, I felt like as a kid and as an adult, yeah, you still feel that way because... 
everything's just so well put together. It's so well thought out. The creative process through it, it's breathtaking, in my opinion. You might look at it now and be like, well, that's really cheesy, but no, it's I, to each, I think it's, it was ahead of its, its time. It's to each their own. What does wonder feel like to you? I guess for me, the first thing that popped into my head is feeling in awe of something you don't understand, but being okay that you don't understand it. Like mm -hmm. it's still impressive enough that you almost want to keep it that way. You almost want to keep the secret hidden. But at the same time, I found as an adult, sometimes the more you peek behind the curtain, and especially with Henson, maybe this is why I love him. When you peek behind the curtain and you see how something was accomplished, it doesn't take it away. If anything, it grew. And I think that's probably one of the reasons I love what Henson created, because you're just like even more in awe of everything when you're looking at how it was accomplished. That is truly magical. Wow. Thank you for sharing your wonder with me today. This was oh. delightful. I found myself visualizing and being enraptured by just your descriptions of what was happening. That's amazing. So thank you for sharing your nerd with me today. Absolutely. Anytime. So here we are. This is one of the main reasons I make this podcast. I love learning about things I have had no prior experience or awareness of. And Bethany brought me into a world of wonder, media magic, and creativity. And I'm so grateful for that. As she said in our chat, there is a relief of sorts in being able to escape into a story, into another's world. And I am so grateful for creators among us who dream, share their worldviews, and transport us into other realms. Thank you again, Bethany, for being with us today. If you've got a flavor of nerd that you want me to celebrate, I would love to hear all about it. So go ahead and email me at herewearethepodcast at gmail.com and tell me everything. And guys, I really mean it. Like, I love taking time to sit and make space for nerd to be celebrated. If you really like this podcast and want to financially support what I'm doing, head on over to patreon.com, search for Here We Are The Podcast, and sign up for one of the many, many beautifully and sassily written support tiers that I am really proud of. So until next time, don't forget that curiosity wins and the world needs more nerds. Bye.